were in Russia or the United States of America, were given a mission of going and taking the gospel to the world. And so I thank you for sharing, and we'll continue to pray with you that God uses you greatly. Well, you know, that's a great song. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And no matter what is going on in your life, I, I hope that you see that God is at work and that you can thank Him in all circumstances and know that He has a plan for you. And that plan ultimately is to bring glory to Himself. I do want to mention just though at least one thing that today is a special day for Ray and Judy Foss's daughter, Christy. I understand it's her 35th birthday. That is awesome. Happy birthday, Christy. We are excited and glad you're with us. And uh, continue to pray for Christy. We're praying that one day she get out of that wheelchair. Isn't that possible? Could God do that? Yes. But I'll tell you one thing I do know. She will stand before the Lord one day and worship Him in spirit and truth. I have no shadow of a doubt that she will one day stand and we'll high-five one another, Christy, as you sing praises to God. I know uh, Bill Grove is a great-grandfather. Is that accurate? Congratulations. I knew you were a great man, but now you're a great grandfather. <laughs> That's great news. Hey, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for your work. I thank you for Christy, Lord. I thank you that um, one day she'll be with you and we'll stand and praise you. I pray, Lord, that you continue to encourage Ray and Judy, Lord, as their great parents. I know they are. And Lord, 35 years ago, the blessing of Christy was brought into their life, and we thank you for that. Thank you for Bill's great-granddaughter, Lord, and we, we praise the Lord for, for the birth of a child. So now, Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we want to know what you have to say to us, and we know the ultimate goal is that you be glorified in our lives. So, Lord, we want to give you the reins of control in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Open up your Bible to Luke chapter 18. You're asked to come up with something that you're not good at. And we couldn't shut you down soon enough. I tell you, you guys were going and going and going with things that you are not good at. I'm not good at a lot of things. And the two things that come to my mind are directions. I've shared with that with you that information before that I can get lost. I mean, going home today from here, I could conceivably get lost. If you see me along the highway, kind of looking around like, you know, doing please stop because I may need you to help me. Um, another thing I struggle with is remembering things. This week, I went and got my car. Okay, now, you know, I, I got all ready to go. And I got in my car, and I started down the road, and I pulled out of my driveway, and pulled at the end of the road, and, and I'm riding along down Route 11, and I'm moving along, and I'm thinking, where am I going? I know I have to be somewhere at 2 o'clock, but I seriously did not know where I was going. I knew it was an appointment, I knew that I needed to be there, and I knew it was 2 o'clock. I pulled off the road, okay? I pulled out my phone, and I'm thinking, well, i got to call my wife and ask her, where am I supposed to be at 2 o'clock, right? And so, you know, and then I remembered all the rest, right? She came into the phone right now, and I thought for a while, and then I remember, oh, I had a doctor's appointment. That's what it was. So I had to turn around and go back. You ever had that trouble, or is it just me? Uh, yeah, my doctor's looking at me like, oh, we better talk. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds serious. I don't know what happens, but... My wife graciously told me, you've just got too much on your mind, honey. You've got too much. Come here and sit down. Yeah, yeah, have a glass of milk. So she helped me through that moment. But it seems like some of us are, are not so good at some things. And, and today I want to 
I want to open up God's Word. Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be. If you're not already turned there, you ought to get yourself there. Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be in just a minute. And, and we're going to try to answer a question today that, that maybe um, is something you struggle with. Maybe you have this idea that you're not very good at a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you have that idea. I think a lot of people have those kinds of thoughts. I think they, I think, they think you know, well, so-and-so, they know how to do it, you know. They know how to maybe read their Bible, or they know how to sing songs, or they know how to be involved at church. Or they, they, they know how to have a good relationship with the Lord, but I just really don't. You know, some people aren't good at directions, some people aren't good at pogo sticks, and I'm not good at relationship with the Lord. Okay, maybe you have that idea. And as a matter of fact, it's, it's some of the most ugly um, envy that can work into our lives. I've talked to people who told me that they were envious of other people's relationship with the Lord, as if there is a secret formula or like an answer book that they have that you don't. I want to try to answer that today. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. Let's read our passage for today. As you know, the way we do it, we walk through books of the Bible, talk about it, you know, phrases, sentences, and paragraphs at a time. And we've worked our way up to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to talk about how, how it is that we can have a, a, a real connection with Christ. And you're here today. So you're supposed to hear this. So let's go to the, God's Word. Verse 31 of chapter 18 is where we're going to read. It says this. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, he will be mocked, he'll be shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will arise. Verse 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. They didn't get it. Luke uses three parallel phrases to say they just didn't get it. Didn't understand, was hidden from them, didn't grasp it. What is the problem? What's the deal with these disciples? This is, the, this is the disciples now. This is the twelve. This is not the big, ugly, mean Pharisees who Jesus has been opposing. This is the twelve, and he has told them exactly what's going to happen. He's on his way to Jerusalem, okay? They are within 15, actually 18 miles, Jericho. They're, they're right near Jerusalem. They're on a journey to Jerusalem. He's, he's told them repeatedly what's going to happen when he gets there. He's going to die. He's going to be abused. He's going to die, and he's going to resurrect. And they don't get it. But watch who does. Verse 35. As Jesus drew drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of, in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the all the more indicates, he didn't say this once. He's saying it over and over again. 
As a matter of fact, the verb that is used here is, is compared to an animal crying out in pain. He is uncontrollably yelling now. He is screaming. In a parallel account in Matthew, Matthew says he screamed out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Over and over and over. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Of course they had to bring him. He's blind. He's begging. They bring him to Jesus. When he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Now we know this, this account is in Matthew and in Mark. Okay, We know from the parallel accounts there were actually two blind men here. We know from Mark that one of them was named Bartimaeus. There we go. And this is probably him. Okay, And so... He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And it doesn't end there. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. What I want to say to you today is, what you seek is what you get. What you seek with the Lord is what you get. If we seek God, if we are seeking Him, He promises us that we will find Him. But if we seek what this world has to offer, oh, you may find it. Okay? You may. You guys are talented people. You've got all kinds of potential in front of you. You can do big, wonderful things that amount to nothing. Right? What we seek is what we often get, especially when it comes to the Lord. I want to just walk through this a little bit and try to understand what what the disciples were being told and what this blind man understood and apply that to us. Okay? Okay? So first of all, let's see the truth that is proclaimed in verse 31. As I said, this is the third time in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus has told the disciples that what is going to happen. In Luke chapter 9, two other times, in verse 22 and in verse number, where is it? Somewhere in my notes, I've got it written down. There it is. In verse 22 and verse 44, Jesus tells the disciples exactly what's going to happen. He's going to be turned over to the Gentiles. They're going to abuse him and they're going to take his life. And then he's going to be resurrected. Again, in the parallel count in Matthew chapter 16, Peter pulls Jesus aside. Jesus, come here, come here. We need to talk. And so they go off to the side, and Peter says, you can't be saying this. And Peter corrects Jesus, because Jesus has said, I'm going to die and be resurrected. He corrects him. And what does Jesus say? What does he say? Remember, this is emotion. Get behind me, Satan. No. Get behind me. You see, there's always, there's always a broad road, folks. There's always a broad road. Do not be surprised by the broad road. And do not be surprised by the number of people who are walking on it. Jesus himself was tempted here towards the broad road. The road of following Christ is narrow. It is narrow. This truth is proclaimed. He says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished there. This is Jesus' favorite title for himself. Son of Man. 
Okay? Particularly when he talked about his death and resurrection. This is used, uh, i got some numbers down here, 13 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to the Son of Man, 69 times in the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. This is not a title other people gave him, this title he took for himself. What does it mean, Son of Man? When Jesus said he is the Son of Man, what truth is he proclaiming? Well, you can find that in Daniel. I think I have it on the screen. Yeah, there, there it is. Daniel chapter 7. Now, this is a prophecy that Daniel gave at about 600 B.C., 600 years prior to Jesus coming to the earth. And this is what he says. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is a title for God. So there's this one like a son of man who comes to the Ancient of Days. In the context in Daniel chapter 7, this is talking about the return of God to the earth to bring judgment. In Daniel chapter 7, the the context is the return of the Lord to the earth. He's coming again one day, folks. He's coming again. Jesus is going to return. And Daniel here is talking about it. And he says that there is one like a son of man who comes before the Ancient of Days... And to him is given dominion, glory, and kingdom. Now let me tell you something about the God of the universe. He is a strict, strict monotheist. Absolutely, down the road, only monotheism. That is the only view that God has. Just last week, knock on my door. I go to the door, and there's these two ladies standing there. Hi, we'd like to talk to you. I see the papers in their hand. Watchtower Society. Jehovah Witnesses. All right. John 1 1. Good to go. All right. And they open up the door and they say, Hi, we'd like to talk to you about. They start their spiel. And I said, Listen, let me just be right up front with you guys. Full disclosure. I got to be somewhere real soon. I don't know where it is, but my wife will probably tell me. No, that didn't really say that. But (laughs) I said, I'm an evangelical Christian. I'm a pastor of a local church, and I know you're a Jehovah Witness. And you and I do not believe the same thing. You are deceived. Well, sir, why would you say that we are deceived? Well, you have a Bible that is inaccurate. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it does not say that the Word was a God. The Bible says the Word was God. Your Bible says a God. What you, should turn, what you should do is turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 7 and tell me who is the Ancient of Days speaking to here. Well, sir, and then she starts trying to get me to know, I'm like, I'm sorry, I really got to go. As Jehovah's Witnesses. They do not believe that Jesus is God. They, don't believe, they would say they're monotheistic, one God. And so Jesus isn't him, isn't him. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Harking back to Daniel chapter 7, he was crucified for this claim. This is why they killed Jesus. They did not kill Jesus because he didn't follow their laws. He did not kill, they did not kill Jesus because he violated the Sabbath. They did not kill Jesus for what he didn't do. That's not, what, that's not why they killed Jesus. They killed Jesus because he was demanding for them to understand that He is God, the Son of Man. Now then he goes on, he says, 
that what is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Now, I think I have on the screen here, I'll go one more, yeah, here's a few Old Testament prophetic statements that are made about the coming Messiah. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, it's the very first one. The very first one. And, and this, is, this is a prophecy, and I need to understand that when, when in Genesis chapter 3, when this statement, and, and the Lord said this, that between your offspring, Eve, and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Remember this prophecy? Snake, well, serpent, deceived Eve. Eve and Adam sinned, and God brought a curse. That's why work isn't fun. That's why pregnancy is a struggle. It's a curse on the earth. And the Lord, when this curse of sin was placed on the earth, made a promise that He would send one to defeat the curse. It's the first prophetic statement of the coming Messiah. And all through Scripture, we have amazing prophecies about what the Messiah would, would do when he came. And just for sake of time, let me just read a couple of these to you. Psalm chapter 22 is amazing. Listen to what was written. This is written by David. So this is 1000 B.C. It's a thousand years before Jesus. Listen to David describe what would happen to the coming Messiah. I am poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Have you read the Gospels? This is the crucifixion of Jesus, prophesied 1,000 years before it ever, ever occurred. Interesting enough, this is crucifixion described with amazing detail, 300 years before it was ever invented. Did you catch that? When David wrote this, there was, crucifixion hadn't been developed yet. Technology, they haven't really come up with that yet. And David here describes it. There's more. There's more. Zechariah 12.10. Let me read that to you. The Lord says, I will pour out on the house of David, on the, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, listen to what God says, so they will look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. As one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him, as one weeps over a firstborn. Somebody said, I can't really say this with absolute authority of my own, but I am told that there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Christ. And there are, there, are, there are tens, there are scores that talk about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus said, you're in Luke chapter 18, that all that was written about the Son of Man will be accomplished. The prophetic writings 
led them to this. And verse 32, he tells them exactly what it means. For you deliver the Gentiles. Think of what that meant to the Jewish listeners. To the disciples. Who were premillennial. Now you should remember what that meant from a couple weeks ago. Remember what that means? The disciples were premillennial. That's what I mean by that. The disciples knew that the Old Testament said that Christ, that the Messiah would come and set up a kingdom. The disciples knew that. He would set up a kingdom. The disciples knew that when the, when the Messiah came, he would deal with sin and salvation. From the Old Testament, they knew that. The disciples knew that when the Messiah came, he would set up a kingdom on earth and he would rule with righteousness. The disciples knew from the Old Testament, they were premillennialists, they knew that when the Messiah came, he would set up a kingdom that would last forever. They knew that completely. But you know what they didn't know? That their Messiah would die. Return over the Gentiles, he'd be mocked, he'd be shamefully treated, he'd be spit upon. After flogging him, they would kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Death and resurrection. And again, as I said, this had been repeated. This is the truth proclaimed. And I don't know why the disciples don't get it. But they don't. And so let's move forward now in the, in the passage here and, and understand some more. Let's see some truth revealed. Okay, we've seen truth proclaimed. Let's see some truth revealed. Verse 34. But they understood none of these things. The same was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. As I said, they just didn't get it. Why? Why? Can I suggest some reasons? Can I suge- and can I suggest that I'm not saying they weren't believers. They put their trust in Jesus. I mean, except for Judas, but the eleven have put their trust in Christ. But, so what this warns us to, now listen, listen. What this warns us to is you can be a believer in Christ. Jesus can be in your heart. Remember we tell little kids down the hallway that? He can be in your heart. And you can have a closed ear to truth. You can have an ear that doesn't hear God's prodding. Jesus himself says, I'm going to die and be resurrected, and they didn't understand it. So there is a warning here for us that we can Hear truth and not hear it. We can see something and not see it. And how interesting that Luke, you know, Luke is a, is, is a scholar, he's a doctor, and he, he shares this truth. I want you to understand what Luke may have been thinking, what we can see the Spirit of God is thinking. He shares this truth about the disciples, and then he immediately goes into this blind guy who gets it. Isn't that just striking? The twelve don't get it. The blind beggar does. Why? Why? Can I tell you? Can I suggest? It's the same reason that you look at somebody else and you think they're good at Christianity and you aren't. It's the same reason. It's false It's not true. But it's the same rationale in their head. Now look at the truth that's been revealed to this guy, this blind beggar. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a man was blind and was sitting by the roadside, and hearing the crowd, he said, what does this mean? 
Now, they tell him Jesus, and they give the geography of Jesus. He's from, he's from Nazareth. And somehow this blind man had heard about the Nazarene Jesus of Nazareth and had heard what he had done. He had heard that. I want you to picture in your mind's eye now. Jesus is walking along. He's got more than the 12 with him, okay? He's healing people. He's, he's, remember he fed the 5,000? I'm not suggesting there were necessarily 5,000 people walking around with him, but there is a crowd. There is activity. They're all going to Jerusalem anyway. It's a time of a festival. Jericho is on the road to Jerusalem. So everybody is going there. They put the blind beggar out by the road, and he's asking for money, and he hears Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And you can't hold him back, folks. You can't keep him away. What happens is he cries out, Jesus, son of David. Another title for Jesus, hearkening back to the Davidic covenant, where the Jewish people are promised that a descendant of David will rule on the throne of David. This is a kingdom promise that one day Jesus is going to rule from Jerusalem. He's going to rule the world. He calls him the son of David. And those who are around tried to shut this guy up. Shh. Be quiet. You are nothing but a blind beggar. Just go back in your corner, man, and be quiet. And now he goes, he just goes ballistic. I mean, the language here is, is very expressive. I would like to scream how loud he's screaming, but I'll like hurt the microphone and your ears. But he is shouting out now over and over and over. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And Jesus does. We see truth revealed. There's been some truth revealed to this man. He has understood who Jesus is. He's the son of David. There's been truth revealed. And now I'll get to my last point. And God responds. God responds. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want to do for you? Recover my sight. Jesus said, recover your sight. Your faith has made you heal. Can I just say this? God responds to people who respond to him. Let me, put a, let me put a passage up here. I, a bunch of them. Go ahead. There we go. This is all through the Bible. This is all through the Bible. This idea that when we move towards God, God responds to us. This is the way that the Lord has designed us as his creatures to relate to him. We were made for relationship with God. We got all things around that can distract us. But listen to the words of Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What's the difference? What's the difference here? What's the difference with this blind man? What's the difference with the friend that you're envious of? What's the person that, what's the difference in you and maybe your spouse who seems to have a connection with the Lord that you don't have? What's the difference between you and maybe your child that seems to really connect with God? What is the difference? The difference is when God speaks into hearts, man must respond. So maybe it looks like this. You're laying in your bed. Alarm goes off. And you lay there and you think, I should get up. I should read my Bible today. I should do that. Has that ever happened to you? Of course it does. Of course it does. And now you have a decision, do you not? You have a decision. 
Now, God has prodded your heart. Jesus of Nazareth is in the area. He's walking by. There's a prod. Now, God has prodded your heart. And you have a decision now. And folks, it is a decision of faith. The blind man heard Jesus of Nazareth is coming to town. He said, have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on me. He responds by faith. You and I lay there in our bed. God prods me. You should get up and read your Bible. I pick up my phone. It's going, bleep, bloop, 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 bloop. And there's a button I can push. And what's it say? Snooze. Right? It's an act of faith. I put that down. I roll out of bed. And I go to the word of God by faith. Say, Lord, you called to me today. What do you need? What's up? How are we doing? And I respond to God's word. Listen, the difference, the difference is not theological training. It's not title at the church. It's not years of walking with Christ. All those things are wonderful, okay? All those things are great. It's not this, this huge, wonderful testimony of, of a huge change in your life, you know, from axe murder to, you know, wonderful citizen in the area. It's not that. It is this. Some people, when God prods their heart, when God speaks them, spurs them, they respond. And others say, I'll go back to sleep. I'll go back to sleep. For the disciples, Jesus prodded them. Have faith. Have faith. And they said, you don't fit what we're expecting. Your message is not fitting what I'm expecting, so I'm going to reject it. I don't want to hear it. And they did not understand it. Could it be that God is prodding you? Let me just say this. Let me say this. A couple of things here I just throw up on the screen. Number one is this. You understand, spiritual blindness robs, spreads, and grows. Here's what I mean by that. Spiritual blindness, this idea that I'm not going to see God, God's proud of me, but I'm going to go back to sleep. I'm not going to respond. And it robs. It robs you of spiritual growth. Okay? It grows in your life. Here's what I mean by that. You get better at it. It is a learned skill. You can get real good at not hearing the prodding of God. So much so that you'll listen now and you'll say, you know what, God hasn't prodded me for months. Hmm. Maybe it's because you're really good at not hearing. Confession. That's sin. That's sin. And it spreads. It spreads to other people. It does spread to other people. This idea that I'm not going to respond to God spreads to other people. Next, I'll say this. that um, Put it up there for me. Thank you. Needs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I could have gone forever on this. Needs drive us to the Savior, don't they? Why is this blind guy so responsive? Why? He's one needy dude. He needs Jesus. So he responds quickly. He responds quickly. Don't despise the needs in your life. Don't despise the needs in your life. Might they be the Lord in love prodding you to himself? Isn't that possible? Wouldn't that fit the character of God? Wouldn't it just be like our God to bring trials into your life? So you don't depend on you and your things to satisfy you? Wouldn't that be like the character of God? 
I think it would. I know it would. James 1 has something to say about that. Trials, count them all joy. Why? Because they work in our life to produce maturity. They bring us to Christ. And lastly, I just want to challenge you. Seek the Savior. Seek the Savior. He will be found. He will be found. He's not hiding from you. He's not running away. He's waiting for you to respond by faith in His direction. You turn, He's there. Because He never left. Respond to our Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do ask You to continue to prod us. Lord, if we've been negligent, lazy, distracted, we have, Lord. We have. Forgive us. I thank You for Your forgiveness, Lord. It is real. It is new every morning. Your compassions are that way, Lord. And so, Father, I just pray for anybody here today who knows they have not been responding to You. Lord, would You just... um, Would you prod them right now? I pray your spirit would prod right now. Now listen as we pray. That's a serious prayer. If God has just prodded your heart towards something, that is the spirit of God. If it aligns with his word, it is the spirit of God. You need to respond. You need to respond. Lord, accept our worship. You alone deserve it. In your name we pray.